Murdoch University, Alumni After Dark, powering your mind. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Alumni After Dark. I am your host, Sam. Last week I spoke to the amazing Matilda De Silva, who is the founder and CEO of Ocean Purpose Project. Matilda studied a Bachelor of Art with Honours in Media Studies and a major in Broadcast Journalism and Screen Studies at Murdoch, graduating in 2005. After a long and exciting career in media, Matilda was unfortunately left with a debilitating and incurable autoimmune disease after competing in a dragon boat competition in the polluted waters of Boracay in the Philippines. Matilda found purpose in her trauma by launching her award-winning social enterprise, whose goal is to slash pollution in Singapore and Southeast Asia. Matilda shares her inspiring story as well as the steps that her awe-inspiring organisation is taking to create a safer and cleaner ocean. Let's take a listen. So firstly, Matilda, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Samantha. Thanks for having me. It's really great to have you here. Um, First of all, I would just like to ask you, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Um, what did you study at uni and what led you onto the path to the career that you have now? So my name is Matilda De Silva. I'm the founder and CEO of Ocean Purpose Project. Um, what I studied at university is very different from what I'm doing now. Um, I studied at Murdoch University in Perth South Street uh, eons ago. I don't give the actual date because like people will be like, whoa, she's ancient. <laughs> um, and uh, what I did was a double major in broadcast journalism and screen studies. So a lot of it was very media centric, um, you know, uh, radio, TV production, film, being a TV producer, which I did eventually go off and do. Like uh, I worked for the national broadcaster in Singapore called Mediacorp for over a decade. Uh, I was a current affairs TV producer, um, and as if there weren't enough hours in the day, I also uh, helmed two radio stations um, of shows. I did like the early morning show for a symphony station, and I read the news um, for the late night um, section for 938 Live, a news station. So um, to say like, you know, what I studied, um, I'm one of those, you know, very few people that like can say like, okay, yes, I really did apply that um in to production and journalism and um and you know also doing that on tv on film on radio uh and for print as well so what led you to where you are now so um on top of me being a broadcaster and being on tv and radio um i was singing actually up to maybe four or five times a week uh, in pubs and clubs and hotels and at major events for Singapore and also overseas. Um, and again, as if there weren't enough hours in the day, I would also paddle competitively in dragon boat and outrigger canoe. Uh, and a lot of that, um, that amazing life that I had, I mean, I wouldn't call myself an athlete, um, but I was pretty fit. I could cycle at least about 40, 50 km a day to and fro work. Um, of course, I've got friends who are like, you know, even better than that with the six pack and all of that stuff. But um, there was kind of like a, a rhythm in my life, you know, working hard, um, sports, great bunch of friends. Um, and a lot of that really came um, to a halt 
around 2015. Uh, and I didn't understand what was actually happening. So I was representing Singapore in a dragon boat race in the Philippines in Boracay. Um, in Boracay, which is uh, a touristic island in the Philippines. And um, I didn't realize that um, just spending the weekend there racing and winning medals and, you know, trophies and cups and, and plates um, that I would come back to Singapore and I would fall terribly, terribly sick and be in the hospital and and just have my immune system crash. Um, so that's where I developed, uh, in a month I developed vitiligo, um, which is these white spots on my face. My hair turned white, so that's even my eyebrows and eyelashes. Um, uh, it was something that was very, uh, I, it was a mystery to me how come, I, you know, my immune system had crashed, why I felt so sick. But, um, you know, three years later, they then closed the island of Boracay because it was discovered that uh, they were pumping raw sewage, untreated chemicals. Um, all the waste from the island was just going into the touristic beaches. Um, and, you know, it was just uh, a major shock for me, number one, because um, I was just there for three days. Like, how sick can you be, right, after just being exposed to polluted water for three days? The second bit is uh, I didn't, um, I'm just representing my country. I'm, you know, like, it's just not fair for me to, definitely not fair for anybody, but, you know, like, uh, I didn't ask for this. I didn't go out looking for ocean pollution and wading in it, um, you know. Number three, this is a touristic like destination that's on CNN. Um, you know, wouldn't the people who are in charge of making sure that like, you know, these beaches are safe for tourists and for, you know, international athletes that, like, you know, they ensure that the water quality of the, the seawater is safe for us to be exposed to. And so, I mean, um, like anybody, uh, I just felt, felt really upset um and it was a major struggle uh, this is not like like some inspirational oprah moment where i went yeah you know this is where i'm gonna turn my life around or some amazing thing there's a whole purpose to this journey um as anybody who works in production uh, will tell you or who has like you know worked with me as a tv producer i'm a highly irritable person i need to go from point a to point b really quickly um, uh, I'm all about efficiency. I really hate like, you know, like having uh, myself be in a position where I, I lose my voice for six months. Um, I lose the ability to walk or to, you know, control my, my, my movements, um, or even have a difficulty with the way I think or, or express myself. And so this great frustration was really something that I, I had to find a way to be able to channel that into something positive and say, OK, with everything that I have in my disposal, everything that I've learned, um, you know, at my time at Murdoch, um, everything that I've I've uh, like, you know, been gifted in terms of exposure with the people around me and like, you know, and the, the things that I've learned, how do I take all of those things and use them for good for a purpose project, for an ocean purpose project? Um, and the name of the company is something that initially a lot of like, you know, people in the industry were like, what's an ocean purpose project? It sounds like kind of like a school project. And that's like, e well, I mean, you know, this is not meant to be some, um, you know, huge NGO that's going to take over the world. It's really my ocean purpose project and saying, 
how do I identify like, you know, some of the, the, the gaps that led to me being exposed to that water pollution that led to me falling sick? Um, and how do I hack those those gaps, those those, um, you know, those issues, those pollution issues and turn them into solutions? So that's really where my life has come um, or moved to in recent years. And so what's the goal now for that for that? Ocean's Purpose Project, what's that look like? So the goal for Ocean Purpose Project is really to uh, work in partnership and create little projects to hack um, specific solutions. So for example, right now there are three Ocean Purpose Projects, or so three pillars. Um, one looks at plastic to fuel, um, really looking at the problems around chemical recycling of plastics how we could turn, um, you know, ocean plastics, trillions of tons that's floating out at sea and still going into our oceans into fuels such as hydrogen, um, you know, and really kind of working with uh, government partners, with industry partners, with schools, with academia, with religious groups, with people who live in the community to hack that project and figure out what would it take for us to make um, a small scale version of that successful. The same thing with what happened to me in Boracay. How do we prevent? Uh, we, we hear a lot about ocean plastic as like, you know, oh, yeah, that's that's the biggest threat to our oceans to date. And it is a huge threat. Um, you know, like we've seen these images of these great, um, you know, Pacific garbage patch, these these gyres and, you know, the amount of plastics in our, in our ocean. But if you can consider for a moment, ocean plastics is just part of 5% of total ocean pollution, 5% of that is marine litter. So that's everything that's plastics, glass, whatever that's in that 5%. The bulk of like, you know, of that stuff, right? 30% um, of that pie chart is sewage. And then another 20% is uh, agricultural runoff. That's contributing to, you know, algae bloom, um, chemical pollution of the sea which we can't see with our naked eye and it's it's totally turning blue ecosystems upside down. And I think, you know, like um, really what we're trying to do is to say like with our second project about bioremediation is to say, how do we, you know, work with small holdings farms, you know, um, all throughout Asia or, you know, even in our little hometown here in, in Pasiris in Singapore, how do we turn the traditional farmer um, you know, the, the indigenous farmer into um, someone who is able to create a, a bioremediation curtain, um, a system that is able to integrate to their aquaculture farming, that is also then able to absorb some of that chemical and channel that into things such as maybe biofertilizers or bioplastics. And that's, um, you know, the second uh, pillar that we're hoping to grow. And the third pillar is really what we're doing right now, Samantha. It's about saying we all know the problem. We all know that, like, you know, oceans are important. Um, you know, we, we've heard so much about, like, the heat wave um, and climate change fires. And, of course, Australia is no stranger to that, right? Um, how the acceleration of, of um, climate change is also affecting the way that we live day to day. Um, we know that, but we don't act on it enough. You know, and that's regular people like you and me. That's also governments. That's, um, you know, industries. 
we're kind of like, yeah, it's bad, but life needs to go on, right? Like, you know, I, I can't upset the apple cart. That is my life um, just because like Greta Thunberg has an issue, right, with uh, big business and fossil fuels. And that third pillar of what we do at Ocean Purpose Projects really to, to you know, dig deeper into the nerve of what behavior change is about, about understanding like, you know, if we were really able to say ocean plastic shouldn't even go into, you know, river systems or ocean systems in the first place, because that's a valuable resource that could be turned into the fuel of the future. You have a solution for the poorest of the poor co coastal communities and you're speaking a language that they understand. You know, they now have electricity that can come from that fuel. They now have a, a means to be able to provide Internet, um, you know, and a means for their family, um, which is a bit bigger than like, you know, the way typical NGOs work. So that behavior changes. Um, yes, about having an interview like this and sharing that work um, online and offline, um, working in the community. So right now um, my staff are, are there on the beach, um, you know, speaking to members of the community, working there. Uh, we have a beach office and it's really then about, you know, like you have people who come up to us and go like, what's this about? Like, you know, how does seaweed and and, and a herb farm, you know, work together? How does, how do you even turn the plastic into hydrogen? Like, how does that even work? And we have everybody from seven to 70 that come up and, and share that with us. And that behavior change is important because you see people um, from different walks of life, from different ages, um, from different religious groups um, and ethnicities really saying, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, it's interesting. How can we participate? Um, and this is again where that behavior change um, project from the content that we create to you know our involvement in the community all these pillars and ocean purpose projects or opps are really to say moving forward uh, in terms of some of the biggest problems that face um, the world today how do we start small how do we hack some of these problems really be very open and transparent and dig deep um, how do we bring different expertise into you know these problems in a in a small prototype way, um, how do we also bring knowledge bases from many different areas? And that's really the future of where I want Ocean Purpose Project to go as a vision. Um, very often, you know, um, you would kind of see decision makers saying, oh, um, the solution to ocean pollution is a high tech, uh, deep tech, AI powered solution, or it's got to be either this or massive amount of beach cleanups or this uh, it doesn't have to be one or the other it can actually be a combination of multiple solutions it's also about you know us as ngos um really disrupting ourselves um you know the future is really for us as ngos to say our space to play is not just in holding a cardboard placard and saying oh fossil fuel is bad ocean plastic is evil it's about moving beyond that and saying okay now what are we going to do about it most of the time people actually just need to to see an example of how it works it's a small little project and they can see a case study they can investigate it and say like oh in my little beach town of Pasiris, um there's a little ngo that's doing this in a small scale um for example we're the only beach cleanup in the world that converts a, a section of our plastics into hydrogen some of those plastics are also sent to um 
our other partners, bunch of DJs called Wild Pearl SG, we're going to turn that into a new DJ console. Um, again, this is about us saying like, you know, um, if people are able to see this work in a small, in a small way, then they feel the sense of confidence to be able to take that and get bigger. Ocean Purpose Project has won multiple awards. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what is your proudest moment since launching the project? Um, one of the things that's um, really rewarding about doing, you know, what I do is that uh, I get to work with my 70-year-old mother um, and she's like, you know, this, this, uh, fantastic, she, she's a fantastic cook and like, you know, and she's, you know, always like well-dressed and, and put together and, you know, she has a, an amazing background in the energy sector. So, you know, she's kind of like the brains of the whole operation. I'm just a mouth maybe, um, you know, and I think that's one of the, one of the proud moments is working alongside her, attending some of these um, uh, award ceremonies or when I speak um, on panels with government agencies and ministers and, you know, it's like having her uh, alongside with me to be able to talk about these things. That's something that, you know, I I find um, really rewarding because like, you know, as I grew up, I, I didn't understand a lot of the background of the projects or the scale on the projects um, in transport and in energy that she was working on. And in fact, a lot of that that stuff comes back, um, you know, but I think um, to represent Singapore and speak at COP27, um, not on Ocean Day or NGO Day, uh, but on Energy Day, um, um, I spoke for an hour um, and, you know, it was kind of very nerve wracking because I didn't really have like my speech prepared. We were running around doing so many things getting things organized and all of that stuff. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I didn't even write this speech down. Like, how am I supposed to, I can't just wing it for like <laughs> 60 minutes. And like, you know, what if we have like, you know, like some government official comes and like ask me like some crazy question, right? Like, how am I supposed to deal with that? Um, and I think, you know, that was really something that uh, I didn't realize that, you know, I, I had pictures up there of the people from our town, you know, the researchers that we worked with. And, you know, one of, the things that made me really proud and I was so happy about was that we had the chance to be able to tell our story. Um, we had a chance to be able to explain how a community project, an NGO project of turning plastic into hydrogen could eventually be a supplementary source of fuel for a nation. Um, you know, and listening to the questions that came from the people who sat in the crowd, you know, there were people from Senegal, from Nigeria, from Egypt, uh, from from Cairo, you know, from many different parts of the world, you know, who's who were so interested in the work that we were doing and they wanted to do something like that in their own country. And, you know, and seeing like people from Singapore also sit and go like, yeah, we need to come and visit you like, you know, in, in Pasiris. And, and this was really something that that I don't think many people have the opportunity to do to, you know, speak and about um, how you know, a small little project, a, a little idea that a TV producer uh, had, you know, is is powerful enough to be able to provide an energy solution, um, a waste solution, um, you know, is able to also, you know, provide a, a solution for farmers struggling at sea with algae bloom, 
that can also be turned into a product um, that can have, you know, use on land. I think, you know, um, I carry with me a lot of the faces of the freelancers and the different interns and the, the different staff who have helped to build Ocean Purpose Project and our different projects. Like I can see all of them and all the funny stories, like, you know, how one of one of them was a teacher of one of our interns. She was trying to carry a piece of wood and I was <laughs> carrying the wood with her and it was just too heavy. She fell in the sea and then like <laughs> I dropped in the sea as well because I was like, oh, it's really hot. I just want to kind of, you know, rinse off. And then the farmer is like running to us and he's like, there's barracuda in there. You know, all these funny stories I carry with me. Um, while I'm speaking at these big events at G20 and United Nations events and and stuff, so it's like... What is that like, though, as well? Like, having to, I guess, prepare for those and, like, what's that experience like? Because they are huge events. There's a lot of suits. Um, there's a lot yeah. of... It's really strange. Uh, sometimes I get a bit confused because everybody's coming to some of the biggest events. For example, COP is 40,000 people. Some of them don't have slides. I was like, put some slides together, man. Like, what are you talking about? Like, they just got a piece of paper and they're like, oh, you know, I'm just going to read from this piece of paper for like 40 minutes. And, you know, we're just going to share um, a whole lot of data for 40 minutes or so two hours. And it's like, yes. Um, you know, and, and some of them are also... Um, so reliant on consultants and and on uh, white papers um, that they don't know what's available. And for example, um, I just came back um, this year. I was in France um, at the INC2, which is basically like a the United Nations um, meetings uh, to convene with regards to ocean pollution, ocean plastic pollution. There was a real like separation between all the NGOs like us um, who are yeah. working on solution engineering. And, you know, we also signed a, a treaty called the IAGPT, uh, which is led by Repurpose as well as the Ocean Cleanup. And I had a chat with Boyan Slat, the, the CEO of Ocean Cleanup. I was like, dude, you know, you totally inspired me. And, he, and we were talking about how there's this disconnect between what's being discussed, um, you know, at the highest offices in terms of what solutions are and the people who are just like, yeah, you can talk about it and we're going to go off and do it. And there's like, you know, this massive chasm here. Um, and it takes like, you know, these superstars in the NGO ocean conservation world to kind of be able to bridge that gap and like, you know, and get a lot of what, you know, uh, we talk about. So, for example, um, I was also part of like um, a little, uh, there's a seaweed coalition, the global seaweed coalition, which was basically trying to, to get in the text, um, you know, uh, a small section of text that said seaweed is a viable uh, bioplastic um, or biopolymer that can be used uh, as a replacement for single use plastic. You know, just trying to to push a lot of these um, these UN people, a lot of these um, senior stakeholders to realize that the solutions are not just, um, you know, esoteric things. Uh, we're already bringing the materials and proving it's possible. And I think, think like, that, um, do you think that though people are or governments are hesitant to, to go, yes, let's switch up straight away is because of all the other businesses that are creating plastic and potentially how much tax it brings in or 
what 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 do you think it is that is stopping them because if there's a solution what what what's what do you think it is that is making them hesitant so i think there's a there's a standard way in which things are done um you know like uh, think tanks that are heavily informed by academia um papers that take about 10 20 years to be formulated and thought about um i think one of the the difficulties for social entrepreneurs like myself and and startup founders in the sustainable or blue economy space is that we ain't got time to sit around and wait for the paper or like, you know, for, for the traditional yeah. way in which consultation occurs. We understand that that's much needed for the democratic process in terms of how all of that knowledge comes together. But we live in a time where like, you know, uh, somebody could use chat GPT, right? And, and write an article or even generate a podcast like this in, in seconds. Um, you know, one of the key things that I have a bit of a pet peeve about because I come from a not I'm not just TV producer. I was also the head of social media for the national broadcaster and um, community management for me. And I find it very um, strange that we're not having real time dashboards. We're not having, um, you know, like yeah. immediate um, numbers that are able to, you know, kind of counter arguments or be able to um, move to decision making quickly. Um, we're already doing that in very commercial spheres, uh, you know, in, for example, in the plastics industry, um, bizarrely, you know, um, when they're producing plastic, um, they're very aware in terms of like any impurities that go into the feedstocks, um, even if they're, you know, going off and um, from the fuel um, aspect of it before it even gets made into plastics. There's so much of, of data and, and such a granular and almost instantaneous ability to be able to say, oh, OK, you know, like um, this one has impurity and it's uh, this is, you know, not optimizing our yields and things like that. And what I'm seeing is that um, the next phase of this in terms of oceans, in terms of, you know, um, providing for, you know, the two billion people live in coastal environments, um, close to the coast around the world, 2 billion. And that's a third of the global population right now. Sea level rise, um, you know, is, is, is something that would literally affect me. I live in proximity to the beach. You know, um, maybe I'm selfish. I'm doing all of this because I don't want to, you know, have my, my home underwater. Um, you know, the number of diseases, the number of like uh, fish in the sea that will just be outnumbered by plastic, let alone like, you know, killed off because of the amount of chemicals that's there, the amount of livelihoods and economic uh, impact that this is going to have is staggering. And I think, um, you know, the world uh, is such, human behavior is such, we're waiting for the big ticket stuff to hit before we decide that like, you know, oh, now we've got a like chicken little, right? Sky's falling. What we're going to do? How we're going to solve all that? Like, you know, um, <laughs> and this is so very silly. Um, there was a unit that I took, the very first unit um, that all of us in Murdoch, um, Perth, I don't know if this is still done now, but um, it was something around terraforming. And it was a compulsory unit that you had to take. Uh, you couldn't go off and like, you know, do your accounts degree or your that science degree or your whatever, like, you know, your film degree, unless you had passed that unit. And it's a pass or fail. 
and all of us were like, oh, this is terraforming. Like, what? what's that got to do with anything? Like, you know, I'm here to become a filmmaker, not find out, but like, you know, how we should go to Mars and like, you know, start a new world. But what that did was that every single person who went, that batch, that cohort, every single person that went to Murdoch um, for that year understood, even if you were the most daft person, like, and you basically were like, I don't care about the environment, and you just passed by the skin of your teeth, what that did really showed us that how much of effort and resources are needed to go off and colonize a new planet and set up a second Earth. And what it did was also bring all of the lecturers from the different departments of Murdoch, whether you were in media, whether you were in the science field, the bio, um, biology field, the chemistry faculty, everybody suddenly had exposure to these people. And I remember like until my my final my final year at Murdoch, I would still go off and just sit in what um one of the, the offices of um you know one of the researchers, the who taught us that very first unit because it was just riveting. I wanted to understand this concept of how much is it going to take for us to start a, a second Earth? Um, you know, and I was really lucky that on when I did my honours dissertation um, and my documentary, my uh, my honours supervisor was Dr. Glenn Stasiuk, who's the head of the Kulbadi um, <coughs> Kulbadi Center. And, you know, being exposed to, um, you know, how um, the Aboriginal community in in Australia basically, you know, learning about the Bark Treaty, learning about, um, you know, um, Dr. Gurumul Yunupingu and like, you know, and how rock and music and, and politics and environment came together. I think like, you know, those were aspects that um, even though I went off and became a TV producer, like it really affected um, how I perceived the relationship between these things. Um, and it wouldn't be until much later in my life that I would actually work in environment space. I think I didn't even know I was going to go into that space. But I think like being exposed to that in an education system, um, you know, understanding like um, the background of the Noongar people, um, you know their their uh, their knowledges. Um, you know, speaking with them, those were that was the first time that I think I was exposed to the the knowledge of of land and water and and indigenous knowledge and how those things came together. Okay, so we have one last thing um, just to ask you. Um, so you obviously mentioned before that you became very unwell as a result of the ocean pollution. Um, and that's really motivated you to start this amazing project. Uh, I think in some cases, people really struggle to find a way out of that mental or you know, physical barriers that can come with falling on hard times. What advice would you give those to those people? Um, you know, there was a, a Vaguely similar question during the Westpac um, Disruptors um, program. Um, and one of the key things that I also have to offer is that like, you know, I'm not the most motivational person out there. Um, you know, I can't give you like a, a three step program like Oprah, like, you know, of how you have to 
search within and find your spirit and connect. <laughs> um, I'm somebody that has a real problem with meditating or trying to like, just like, I would say that I'm a typical TV producer, short attention span, get me like, you know, like give me the 30 second pitch, right? Like, you know, how's it supposed to work? And I think um, the first thing uh, for a lot of people who are struggling, let's say if you've fallen sick because you've been, um, you know, exposed to pollution or, you know, or COVID has just thrown your mental health out of whack. And I know that personally from being through that. I think the first thing is really to to um, just pause first. Just pause. Like, you don't need to move forward. You don't need to move backwards. Scare off hold water, right? Like, you're, you're drowning until you realize that you can just kind of, you know, hold water and... And then you find your head is above water for a moment. Yeah, still massive waves. And, you know, sometimes you'll you kind of get pulled under a little bit in the current and everything. But you just kind of need to pause for a moment. And like, you know, and um, there's all of this this intense um, pressure and stress and, and fear. And, and, you know, even for a lot of people who, who find that they can't accept that their body is is kind of betraying them in that way. Um, I hate to use this word acceptance because even now I struggle to find acceptance um, with whatever's happened or or to try and find like a peace with that. But I do believe that just kind of pausing first and like, you know, and saying, okay, um, before I, I unravel more or like, you know, find a positive step forward, I just want to just take a chill for a moment and just be in the space. Um, you know, and I think like that's that would be like the first thing I would advise people to do is just to yeah. kind of you know check out for a moment and just pause for a moment and just like, you know, and just float. Um, the second thing is really to to understand, like, you know, what kind of character are you? You know, I'm, uh, some people are really able to say, OK, if there's been a, a turning point in my life. I'm now able to go off and and, you know, and and find some inner peace and and mobilize that and you know all power to you that's your character that's what you're good at doing some people are like i'm just gonna quit my job and you know i'm gonna um do something completely different some people um do insane things like starting a social enterprise um you know and adding ten thousand things you know to their plate um i think it's really about saying what's your character what allows you to 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 make some peace or to kind of, um, you know, find some acceptance in what's going on. And, you know, I think um, that's the that's the part that is really tough to do because you got to sit, you got to do a lot of introspection, you got to, you know, dig deep, you got to ask yourself questions about, like, you know, where you've been, what your character is like, what's made you react this way, you know. Um, uh, nobody can kind of fast forward that for you. That's the sad truth of, of it is that, you can't really get someone else to handle that bit for you or someone else to to give you like, you know, like the Clifton uh, notes on how to get to that part fast. For some people, it happens in a day. For some people, you know, it happens years like me. But it's literally about kind of saying like, OK, I'm not comfortable with like, you know, the way that my, my mental health or my body is in this space. Um, what is it about my character or my my personality that's able to find some sense of peace and for me like I said I'm a person with um, who is highly irritable um, me just going off and and 
being a social media influencer, which, you know, I I did for work. Um, talking about like how ocean pollution affected me and, you know, talking about that on stage and giving talks about that. It just really made me irritated because like, you know, um, it felt like I was just another one of those people who was just talking about the problem. It was all about the talk and not about the action. And that's also what led to me falling sick. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of glossy advertisements and marketing. But um, how could like international, like, you know, tourists still be exposed to that stuff? And it took three years before the answer of what made me sick, like, you know, actually hit like um, news articles. And that's again where I said, like, for me, a sense of peace is for me to know that uh, if anybody was to ask me this question, yeah, you felt sick. What do you do about it? I can say, yeah, well, I've done all I can and I've given as much of myself physically and mentally that I can to try and find a solution. It may not be perfect. It may not even be a viable solution, but I dedicated as much as I could to try and, and find that. And that gives me a sense of peace that allows me to be able to say, yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's me. That's job done. Um, I'm. I've given as uh, I've taken it as far as I can go. I've really kind of put a lot of effort into it, and I can say I'm at peace that I've done everything I possibly can to try and and find ways to be able to solution engineer or prevent this from happening for thousands of people. Yeah, and I think like those two things maybe you know not everybody has followed this journey. For some people, talking about it might be for them. It really depends. Um, you know, what's true for me is maybe not true for other people. Um, but this is actually like for the, the bare bones of it would be like, you know, just kind of pause for a moment. Um, you know, and and the second bit would really be to say like, what would make this um, be more digestible for me? as a human being, like what what makes me tick, what makes me also find a sense of joy or purpose and and what would that be for me? And I think like those are the two things that might be able to help. Yeah, I think that's amazing advice. <coughs> Thank you so much. Well, I think we are done and that was an unbelievable interview and that was a really, the knowledge that you've provided is amazing and I really, really, really appreciate you sharing your journey um yes so thank you so much for coming and chatting to me and um yeah it's been really great thank you samantha thanks for having me